Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. This is uh, this is a very special episode for us. It's one we've been excited about for a while now. Uh, today, we are diving into the culinary world. And as anyone who has ever worked uh, as a chef or as a cook in front of house or more can easily attest, there is an entirely different universe behind the kitchen doors. It's, it's a world and a reality that most diners and most restaurant patrons never really see. And it should go without saying, but we'll say it, the people in this world are some of the hardest working, most driven individuals on the planet. Today, we're getting a firsthand exploration of this world with help from two luminaries of the culinary universe, Hugh Atchison and Richard Blaze. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, guys. Thanks for what having us. What is up? 
<laughs> it's uh, it's really nice to connect with you guys uh, in this video conference. The way we we're making this recording happen right now, you you both have fabulous looking homes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I really just have this stove and this cabinet <laughs> behind me. The rest of the house is in shambles, but this is this is where I do all of my work now. Well, what else do you need? And these are troubled times. And and let me say, you also both have fab- fabulous voices. And I want to make sure that in this our first like, what is this a six way? Uh, Skype call, uh, bunker recording situation. Want to make sure that everyone knows who's who. So if you could each introduce yourselves, just so our listeners can track who's talking, that would be amazing. Richard, you want to want to go first? Hey everyone, this is Richard Blaze, and no one has ever said that my voice sounds amazing. And coming from you, that is high praise. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Hugh. I'm Hugh Atchison. Yes, just, that's just, <laughs> that's he's, just a, he's just some guy named Hugh Atchison. Well, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the gravitas of that name and that voice alone, you need, you need not say any more, honestly. We're, we're all really, really happy to have you both, and thank you so much for, uh, have, I think this is our first ever two-guest situation on Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. Isn't that right, guys? Uh, this is, yeah, yeah, this, this is pretty close. This is new for us, too, but, you know, we're in a time of new things and innovations, uh, one one thing we wanted to to kick off today's conversation with is uh, is the concept of celebrity, right? Uh, you know, many of us in the audience we know you from your we we may know you from your work in television, uh, and and sometimes there may be people listening today who are. Um, you know, I like the way you had put it earlier, Matt. Who are who are even more familiar with the your television work than they are with maybe the day to day food that you are creating. How how has your notoriety affected your work as chefs? Has it like helped? Has it hindered? Has it ever gotten weird? Yeah, I'll jump in. I guess Richard Blaze here. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, one has it gotten weird? Uh, I mean. To be honest, guys, we're on a six-way Skype on a podcast right now. So yeah, things can get weird when you're a celebrity chef. I think it goes both ways, right? Like um, the exposure certainly creates great opportunity. It certainly helps putting people in restaurants at the same time. You know, it, it creates a tremendous amount of responsibility um, not that you can't live up to all the time to everyone. So I think there's, it's a blessing not much of a curse, but 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 certainly there's there's ups and downs to it. Yeah, I mean, celebrity is such a strange. I don't think he, any of us want to call ourselves celebrities. I'm just a guy who cooks. Um, you know, TV's occupied about you know two percent of my working life, um, probably even less. Uh, so, you know, it. But you know, like like writing a book, it just gives you a bigger footprint. Um, to you know, get to clients and find customers and have a following. So it definitely helps in a business angle, uh, but it kind of uh, the term kind of makes me cringe. Uh, that's. That's understandable. It's funny, Hugh. I actually knew about you outside of any of your TV work because I lived in Athens, Georgia for many years and knew about your wonderful restaurant 5 and 10 and had many friends that worked for you. And so I knew of you more from your grassroots kind of work. And you really are known as being super hands-on in not only, you know, cooking and designing menus and creating restaurant concepts, but also in culinary instruction. I actually have seen you do a talk at the local farmer's market in front of like, you know, 20 people. 
people. It's like a very grassroots thing that you do. And I always really appreciate that about you. And you're all about the DIY kind of ethics of being a chef and all of these design principles. So I uh, just wanted to put that out there. I'm a big, big fan and, and have known you since you were kind of, you know, doing that stuff in Athens and, uh, and, and have always kind of followed you from that part of my life. Been a long and time. You, you do, and you doesn't want to say it, but he's obviously a celebrity chef because I can't book the farmer's market. Like they're not coming <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is something I want to get to, you guys. Um, I, my, my first job I ever had was at a private club in Atlanta called the Piedmont Driving Club, and it was working, you know, in a kitchen there. And I really thought this is what I wanted to do. And I know there are a lot of people out there listening who have aspirations of becoming a chef or getting into the industry in some way more so than, you know, just serving drinks or, or food. Um, how, what were the pathways you guys took to achieve that? And is there any advice you can give to someone who's looking to, to kind of follow in your ways? I mean, I, I would definitely uh, advise against not going into this business right now but um <laughs> there's no jobs and there won't be any jobs and it's going to be a lot worse but um you know i got into this business because i'm the black sheep of a very academic family and uh at 15 i started working in restaurants and i just it was the place where i felt at ease and uh where i could succeed and it wasn't at school and I went to university for a while, but dropped out. But all throughout the time, I'd just been cooking and, you know, I'd show up when I was 16 years old, working at a French restaurant and be, uh, you know, have 40 year old chefs be happy that I was there working side by side with them. So it gave me a sense of inclusion and success. And, um, you know, I realized that my strange, um, sarcastic personality and things like that, uh, somehow also allowed me to be a good leader and then mix that with empathy and honing in on technique over the years and just reading. Um, you know, I, I think it just, you know, it's also, a, it's a business that is, it's, it's this endless uh, fascination for me because I can learn about food and beverage and hospitality and design every day of my life and never get tired of it. There's so much to learn about food. And so when you find an occupation that that really jazzes you like that every day, it's exciting. And right now, you know, we've all changed jobs in the last month and a half, two months. Uh, so that's exciting, too, even in even in a crisis situation, um, which it's amazing to me the the similarities between running a restaurant, which is very crisis and triage oriented anyhow, and then true crisis response. Um, cause there's a lot of affinities that chefs can bring to the table in that regard to, to fix problems quickly. I think it's a really, really great point. And I, I've seen so many restaurants, uh, here in Atlanta have to pivot, you know, very quickly to this whole very carefully thought out to go model, uh, even fine dining restaurants. There's a brand new restaurant right around the corner from me called little bear that just opened right before all this stuff hit. And they have exclusively pivoted to uh, curbside delivery and they do a new menu every week. And, you know, you can call in and make your order that morning and you can pick it up that night. And it's like, you know, it's like 75 bucks, but it's like a spread for your whole family. And it's something very special. And it's been really cool to see them succeed. And obviously they're doing it with more of a skeleton crew than they would have, you know, as a full service uh, restaurant. They were booked out months in advance. It's a really popular spot, but it, that kind of innovation is really inherent in the scrappiness of being a chef. I mean, they call them like brigades, right? Like in the French tradition, because it's like you're at war in a certain way and you have a leader and you have people that you have to delegate 
delegate to, and the whole situation is very regimented in that way. Richard, do you, do you have a? Can you speak to that a little bit? In your experience, as to that kind of you know that that attitude, that can-do attitude that really leads people in the culinary world to be able to like make snap decisions and really kind of you know just uh, come through in, in times yeah. of stress. Yeah, I mean, I love, I actually, I mean, I, I'm going to borrow what Hugh said there uh, for the future because, I mean, being, uh, you know, every, every night of a service of a restaurant, there's some sort of drama or problem that has to be served. I mean, it, almost every, you know, other guest or other table has some sort of pivoting moment or situation that has to be uh, fixed or, or solved. And I, I think that, you know, again, the, the hospitality industry is sort of built for this. And, you know, using the word hospitality there, like the old sort of adage that the customer is always right, you know, has, you know, uh, really is the, the, the backbone of, you know, being able to consistently have to pivot every, you know, seemingly couple minutes, you know, to make sure that everyone uh, is happy. So, I mean, I think that that's ingrained in all of us. And I think that's the other side for me. If I, if I look at my personal story, you know, why did I fall in love with, you know, cooking and being a chef? It was because it was one place where I could make someone happy right away. I could see it on their face. I could, I could see it in their smile. And I got that personal gratification of it. And, you know, quite honestly, now we have the ability to, um, you know, turn those tables in a way and make people truly happy in moments when they they really, really need it, like, you know, some curbside pickup or whatever it is. You know, that's that's well said. And I think we're hitting on an issue that's very close to everybody's mind right now, you know, as as we're readjusting, as as we're adapting, improvising. And one thing that you both you both hit on that really pricks my ears up is you you both noted like 100 percent. Like something always happens, right? Every every service there, there's always going to be something and that's kind of a point that we we opened with when we said, you know, somebody might go into a restaurant and they might sit down and to them it seems like this is uh, super easy. This is like a, a, a lazy tube ride down a, a delicious river, you know what I mean? And have no idea of what's going on behind the kitchen doors. So like with this with this in mind, are there things that that you guys as chefs and as professionals wish the average restaurant patron was more aware of? Like what what kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, what kind of kitchen secrets do uh, do you wish that more diners knew? Well, I want to let you answer this, but I want to just follow up and thank you for the inspiration because definitely the Willy Wonka Chocolate River Tube Bride will now be uh, created at some point in one of my restaurants. <laughs> oh, oh, that <laughs> seems terrifying to me. Are you going to have the soundtrack? <laughs> we have to. <laughs> oh, God. I'd say Pure Imagination is the song, but I don't want you guys to have to pay for it. <laughs> Thanks. Paul, look into that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I, th I think it's... Um... I think the number of people that it takes to really ensure good hospitality and full service is much more than people think behind the scenes is usually more people than people think. And the amount of work that goes into it is, is more uh, people always have an assumption that restaurateurs and successful chefs are, um, are rolling in it. And uh, we're, we're, we're not, it's a very, very low margin business. And, has only gotten lower and, you know, it's a challenging business, but it's one that people do it because they love it and, but it drives some people to bankruptcy and things like that. So 
it's never easy in that way. I mean, outside of that, I think that people generally understand what, what people really do need to understand though about restaurants is their satisfaction with the restaurant is really past a certain point. It's really all in the consumer. Um, so if you're a customer, you go into a restaurant and you're in a crappy mood and you're with your mother-in-law and a four-year-old, um, the chances of me making you abundantly happy in a relatively fine dining restaurant are difficult. You, you're stacking the odds against me. Um, so it's not my job. I mean, I can do my job well, but the customer's always so got to play too. You know, Richard brought up the customer's always right. And I actually, I never, I don't really ascribe to that anymore. Um, the customer is always right when they treat us with the respect and we counter with professionalism and empathy and understanding. Uh, and we provide good product um, and we do a good job and it's efficient and timely. Apart from that, if the customer has a complaint about that, that's, you know, mm, that, so we, you know, so I guess I'm just saying it's the customer's got some responsibility in this relationship too. Sure. The customer is always right until they're clearly absolutely wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to pause for just a moment here and check out a word from our sponsor, but we'll be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 
when those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The thing. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how <gasps> lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. And we're back. Let's keep talking with Hugh Atchison and Richard Blaze. All right. I want to jump to something that all of us have been dealing with our whole lives as soon as you hit, I guess, what you would consider the adulthood marker where you can go out to a grocery store and gather all of the things that you or your family needs uh, to, you know, survive for a certain amount of time. You guys as chefs and restaurateurs, I'm assuming, have spent a lot of time uh, at grocery stores. I, I know for sure, Richard, you've been at Whole Foods a whole lot just from the Top Chef episodes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's, you know, when when we as an individual are going into a place to buy, procure food that we are going to cook the way you guys would in a restaurant. What do we need to know about where we go, what strategies we use to like do the best for ourselves, for our nutrition, for our economics? Like, how do you make those decisions and what should we do? Well, I think a lot of those decisions, it's kind of a tricky question because I think a lot of the decisions that a chef will make is dependent on the skill and the training that they have. So, I mean, I'll just throw one out there right away that like, you know, not buying the most expensive cut of meat or the most expensive fish because the market has created or inflated that price. And, you know, a braised stew with a piece of meat and some oxtails and bone marrow is probably going to be more delicious and probably the type of food you're going to get at a, at a restaurant like ours anyway. So um, one would be it's dependent on the on the skill of, of the of the cook. So kind of tricky. So you might say a little bit don't buy into the hype necessarily of uh, even a place like Whole Foods where, you know, all of those super pricey cuts of meat are available. And maybe there's a little bit of marketing behind this notion that, oh, we can be just like pro chefs by buying this really expensive stuff. Uh, and and, and really what's most important is maybe educating yourself and upping your basic skill set in the kitchen rather than leaning on buying expensive ingredients, right? Yeah, yeah. and I would, I would say, well, first of all, um, you know, the hype has sustained my career, so let's be careful what we say, but uh, <laughs> I, I will say that like one of the things that has been fun, and I, I use that word very carefully, during this quarantine has been cooking at home and 
you know, I hate to use the the top chef word, but doing the quick fire challenge where, you know, I found a, a package of Sanka behind my dog food bin the other day. And I don't even know Sanka still made instant coffee and a can of tuna and some white beans and, you know, and a piece of celery that clearly should be in the compost bin. And can I make a dish out of that? Can I make it delicious? It's It's kind of been fun in that sort of way, having to use all the ingredients in your house or freezer or cupboard. And that's what good chefs and great chefs like you do anyway. What did you do with the Sanka? (laughs) (laughs) I love that because that's a coffee connoisseur. I know, I know you enough. My wife made the Delon, is it Delonica, the two ingredient coffee? And it kind of went viral. She's got a hundred thousand views on this, you know, two ingredient coffee. Uh, it was kind of, kind of fun. I just want to, I want to say here, uh, Hugh, don't think I missed this because we are on a video call. Uh, you start, you've, you've got a diagram that, well, yeah, that you I'm, were I'm working the only, on. Yeah. I'm the only moron who brings a visual aid to a podcast. Um, <laughs> but when you enter into a grocery store, grocery stores are very scientifically uh, and economically studied as to what the layout is. Um, you know, you're going to go in, you walk, walk past floral. It's the first thing they want you to see. It's pretty, whatever. And then you go into produce. But the trick is you want to stay on the exterior walls pretty much as you go around a grocery store. The inner aisles are where the crap is. So if you can stay away from that except for the little scouting sapper missions and to go get your olive oil and whatever in your flour, then you're going to avoid a lot of really what is – prepackaged and ingredients that you never should understand or probably shouldn't be adjusting a ton of. So stick to the exterior. But also I think that cooking these days and what I want to, uh, you know, really impart to people often is recipes are great. I love following a really good recipe start to finish. But what you really need to do to cook well is get, is envision a Lego set and you want 20 pieces. Each piece is a technique and a skill in cooking. Then you can just assemble them in totally different ways each time. So then you're not held hostage to the snapper recipe where you can't find snapper. The snapper is $32 a pound for filet at Whole Foods, and you can adjust to that and use something else. Because really what technique you need to know in that case is how do I properly sear fish? And so we just need to teach America those basics again so they can all have their Lego set. Richard and I just have a lot more Lego pieces than most people do. It's not that, you know, and we can cobble them together in, in, in different ways. And we look upon things in a very different way sometimes in food. And that's the exciting part about food. But buying from scratch is kind of key. I mean, to me, the fact that it's it's very heartwarming to see the dried bean shelf totally empty um, because I'm like, wow, America actually knows how to cook beans. Um, so, you know, I was talking to Jose Andres the other day and uh, he was like, you know, in a crisis, I go down to Italy, I give the woman a 10 pound bag of lentils and a hammock and she makes food. And he was like, here, you know, they don't do that. And he's got a point, but I think we're, we're beating that a little bit right now. Um, so it's kind of exciting to see that. And, you know, I still want people to come to restaurants. It's kind of how Richard and I pay our mortgages. But, you know, it's, it's good that people are learning how to cook from scratch again. Yeah, one of the, one of the amazing things has been uh, to just build on that is the absence of flour in every single market. Like, I mean, and Yeast. even in my household. Yeah, yeah I'm gluten-free until quarantine. And then all rules are gone. 
And I'm, we're baking homemade sourdough. There's no flour. There's no yeast in the stores. And everyone is, you know, home baking sour. What, I mean, people are not gluten-free anymore. I know that some people are, of course, but California isn't. I mean, some people really do have allergies, but 90% of the people who claim to have allergies no longer have allergies exactly, in the pandemic. Exactly, oh, exactly. There'll be an email coming about that. So I'm, That's I'm an episode of its own. Yes. <laughs> um, so really quickly, can you tell us how you start with sourdough? I know it, it requires a mother. How do you actually get your hands on a mother and like start the sourdough making process? I mean, there's a couple of recipes. At, at its essence, it's flour and water, correct, Hugh? Basically, it's grabbing wild yeasts out of the air. So mother is more a kinship with vinegar and acetobacillus bacillus and or scobies. Um, this would be referred to as a starter. Um, so once the starter is activated and it's grabbed yeast from the air, it's going to grow and, and, and expand. And at that point, it needs to be fed. So it's feeding off of the flour and small additions that you're adding to it every day. So if you can get your hands on some flour... You can probably make some sourdough. Yeah, yeast is running through the air everywhere as, as we talk. Some people are yeastier than others. You can smell it on them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exciting. Gonna be, that's going to be my uh, my out of context quote for this episode. When when they we're say just, just, Jesus has risen, they he's actually just really yeasty. <laughs> there we go. I do have a question to follow up with this. Uh, I love that we hit on home cooking because there is a bit of a, well, there's definitely resurgence, but dare I say it's getting close to like a renaissance. And there are a lot of people who would, you know, ordinarily describe themselves as incapable of boiling water who have now like gone into their storage or wherever they kept all the all the kitchen stuff they got for their wedding, you know, decades ago, and they're breaking it out and they're, you know, getting those cookbooks. They always told themselves they were going to read and and they're actually working on this stuff. Um, to me, that seems pretty inspiring. There's a lot of MacGyver inventiveness to it as well. But I, I, I was wondering, what are some of the things, like when you guys as professionals are seeing people try their hand at cooking at home, what what are some of the things that you think like they need to know? I'm I'm picturing, you know, I'm picturing like you guys having a camera in someone's kitchen and and being like, oh my God, dude, what are you doing? Are there any things like that in general you think could help people cooking at home? I mean, I guess I can just, we can start rattling off a few. I mean, I just did a video making hash browns at home and it was, it's just potatoes and salt and some oil and a hot, hot pan. And there was no trick to it. It wasn't a fancy recipe like Hugh saying. It's more of a technique. It's not a recipe. And people were trying it at home and, you know, DMing me about that the pan wasn't working. And, and really, it was, it's not the pan. It's, it's, it's not the wand. It's the magician. <laughs> and it is, you know, just something like letting the pot, letting the pan, letting the oil get hot enough so that whatever you cook in it doesn't stick to the pan. It's just the type of thing Then when you're at home and there's a pan smoking and you're about to set off your, uh, you know, your, your fire alarm that people freak out a little bit. Whereas when you have the experience of cooking professionally, you know, uh, the smoking point of a certain oil and, and that you, you have, uh, you know, that the pan's going to be okay. Um, so little things like that, where it's more, again, everyone thinks they need the tool, especially for me being sort of known as a gadget guy. Guess what I haven't done in the last 30 days? I haven't cooked sous vide. I haven't used any liquid nitrogen yet. 
And if it if I do, it will be for the zombies. It won't be an ingredient in a recipe. It will be to disintegrate all the zombies. Uh, so I think some of it is just experience, but now people are getting that experience. And I'll send it over to you, Hugh. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that people are... Uh, they're coming... America is, is really intrigued with food right now. They're trying. I call it... It's the rise of the Allison Roman Empire. And I think that... Uh, it's good, but I mean, Americans are still morons when it comes to food. I remember when I published my first book, I did a like a pear upside down cake. And so it calls for like four eggs in the batter. And I remember having somebody like hand write me a postcard saying it was good, but the eggshells were a little weird to get around. Like, <laughs> what? No, I mean, like people like it's bleh. like, well, I don't this, know. This is why this is why it's so important to have magicians like you guys amongst us who who can provide. I don't think that's a magician. Do. That's a logician. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I guess what I mean is, I think you know, no matter how difficult our situation that you guys are going through, that the restaurant industry is going through, and the hospitality industry in general is going through, I don't think we're ever going to lose that need for for people with your skills. And I, I, I guess. I was listening to an episode of The Passenger, Hugh, where you were talking with Chris Wilkins of Root Baking Company Mm -hmm. here in Atlanta. And my goodness, dude, I mean, the reality of our situation that you laid out with him was um, heart-wrenching just from somebody who loves food and has enough means to every once in a while eat at a restaurant of of the caliber that you guys, you know, the food that you guys create. Um, I, I guess what I'm... I'm tr- what I'm trying to understand is, do you think there's a version of this, the way it plays out, that innovation plays a huge role for people like you to still be able to get food to consumers and make a living in just maybe a different way? Yeah, I mean, there is, but I, I worry that that is so shallow and basic and and. The, and it loses some core aspect to what I think is most important about true restaurants, which is hospitality. I mean, but we saw this coming before this. I mean, Richard can attest to this too. I mean, there, there are flaws in the logic of fine dining and what we do every day is, and we see it on the bottom line. And, and, and that's been, you know, when we see the sweet greenification of America, um, it's kind of terrifying to a lot of us as chefs as to is is that really where we're moving towards? Because I don't want to go there. Just really quickly, in, in case anyone doesn't know what you're talking about, sweet green is like a kind of like sort of Chipotle health food kind of chain that's like in California. Right? Is that what you're referring and, to? Yeah, and I'm, I'm they, they started in Philadelphia and they've gone everywhere now. But and I'm not dissing them. I think they provide a good service and it's a good product. In the in the end, it's just what it lacks for me is service. Um, it, it lacks the idea of a chef coming up with an inspired dish and nailing it and, you know, really impressing that way. So we can come up with a lot of different ways to do really great to go food and stuff like that as, you know, uh, giving people options of restaurant caliber meals to have in their home. Uh, I just don't want that to be everything we do anymore. Um, but I'm also terrified that American consumers are not going to want to come up and gather around a bar. Yeah, I mean, it kind of uh, 
has created, I think the, the, the big, the big issue is that, you know, one, the restaurants and food, everyone, everyone's a consumer of food, right? So that, that's the beauty of the business. Um, and what we're finding right now is the, the ultimate issue is that it's, it's, it's one business that can't go 100% digital, right? It can't go 100% online. You physically need to have something in front of you. You need to put it in your body. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the massive challenge. But what you was saying already is like, this has already been happening. Third-party delivery services for some of my places were, you know, 30, 40% of specific locations business already. So in one way, we've seen this coming, you know, uh, third-party delivery, pickup to go, uh, fast, casual food. And quite honestly, through the last, you know, you know, horrendous moments, you know, after 9-11, people had to adapt. Fine dining took a massive hit. 2008, I think that's when the single subject, uh, you know, restaurant was, was sort of born after that. So I think this is going to create something. I'm kind of excited, although it's going to be a challenge. What well, I agree with you is I'm kind of excited for at least the challenge of, you know, can you create some sort of restaurant experience perhaps at home? And, you know, it's never going to be the same, um, but the challenge itself I find somewhat um, inspiring. Just kind of dawned on me. It's like uh, some of those meal prep services like uh, Blue Apron, which, I, you know, I, th- I think is a, it, it interesting idea. It's like, oh, uh, hey, watch out, watch out. They're a sponsor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sponsor. <laughs> to, to the point of what I was saying earlier about uh, not buying into the hype and, uh, and don't want to put any of you guys' uh, livelihood at risk. It's so hilarious that Blue Apron and all those meal prep services sponsor literally every podcast. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> but no, I no, guess no, I, let it let it fire. Yeah. I want to hear what you no, I, I want to yeah, hear yeah. where you're coming from. I, I think Blue Apron and groups like that were becoming untenable uh, it, before this. Now they've, you know, they're probably the happiest companies in the pandemic economy, other than 3M and Zoom. Um, so it's 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 interesting to see how long that's going to last. Um, I don't know. I mean, what what is I mean, this is going to completely change our industry? Um, and I mean, we'll I'll come back. I mean, we'll, we'll be okay. I'm not worried about reopening. I'm worried about six months after reopening when the landlord's still trying to lean on me because he wants to do a, a slight uptick in rent. And I'm like, dude, we're doing 60% of what we did last year. You can't raise the rent on me um, because there's nobody who's going to open up a restaurant here. Um, so, you know, I think we are empowered right now uh, because you know, what I used to hate when bosses would ever say this to me is becoming true, which is, um, I, you know, uh, landlords need me right now. They need me. So they have to make me happier. That's really important. Um, but it used to be like, like bad bosses would be saying like, there's 10 other people behind you for the job. It's like, well, that's actually going to be true right now. No, it's really true. I actually heard an interview on NPR today about um, a property owner, a commercial real estate owner whose tenants who are business owners are not able to pay rent right now. And he's like, okay, that's that's how it's going to be. I get it. I support you. I'm not going to collect rent this month. But then he in turn went to his bank and the bank isn't giving him a break. You know, the bank isn't passing on that to, I, I'm not, I'm not, no, not, I, not I, it's, it's a, it's, it's everyone's getting hit, but it's fascinating to see how this is going to play out. Cause eventually the banks are going to have to 
play nice. It's just inevitable. Like, I, I, what's, what's the alternative? I don't understand, you know, a, a future where the banks hardline everybody and close everything down. You know, it's I just don't before. see that world. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm being naive. I, I'm interested as business owners what you guys think about how that aspect plays out. Well, I, I mean, that aspect's really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're speaking as a lobbyist for developers and landlords of the world. Um, <laughs> That's no. You, you have to realize that, like, our our bottom line on profitability uh, is a a lot lower than landlords and developers. Um, so there, I just think there's this needs to be a give and take. Um, we've filled their coffers. We've filled their buildings with aspiring businesses uh, that employ people and do well. You know, they need us and now more than ever. And I think that they have to pony up and be willing. I'm going to lose some skin in this. I want to see them lose some skin. And I hope uh, I didn't misrepresent that's that's really what my point was, is that eventually even the banks are going to have to lose some skin. Everyone's going to have to kind of get on board with this uh, chain of events. You know, the banks can't hardline everybody. The real the uh, property owners can't hardline everybody. Eventually, everybody in this chain has to kind of be like, okay, we're in this together. How can we kind of prop each other up and and help each other out? I I think the one really good thing we've talked about before on on an episode here, the really good thing that we have here, I think for humanity as a whole is that we do have a, you know, in this scenario, a common enemy that happens to be a a microbe, you know, or, you know, a, a, a thing that is smaller than you would be able to see with a, a microscope and it's affecting all of us. And it does feel like the only way out of all of this is a tremendous amount of empathy, which I think we, you know, as a world, as a, a species, we could certainly use a, a ton more of, and this is actually a way to hopefully foster more of that. And if, you know, and if we can achieve that, then we won't have a major problem with the banks because they're compounding interest anyway. So we'll be okay. Maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> The great part. Oh, I wish this was a. I wish this was a visual podcast oh because that, that was that was a fantastic. Like, you Matt. nailed the title. Uh, um, but thank you for that kumbaya moment. Um, I, 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 yeah, we do, we do have a common enemy in this in this in COVID, and uh, we have a common enemy. Um, at least fifty four percent of us and the lackluster president of the United States. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I. I I want to see empathy. I want to see compassion. I want to see patience in people. I don't always see it. Um, I've seen some people angry driving around and stuff like that. And I just want to be like, we mellow the f- out. Um, so right now just, they're driving around angry? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. They should be home. What are they doing? I what are they know. doing? Get inside. Idiots. Well, I've been driving around a lot because I'm, I've been doing meals for World Central Kitchen every day. So I, I borrowed a van and drive around to uh, needy uh, organizations in Athens and drop off food. So I see a lot of sh- stuff going around. Wow. That's something that's key. Uh, and I, I'm really glad we're getting to this part of, of the conversation because one thing that we've seen here in the U.S. and abroad has been uh, this – this not just like a repurposing from a business perspective in the way we were talking about earlier, but a repurposing for community support. Now, to a degree, the stereotype about the American South is very true. 
horrible things will happen here, but you're not going to go hungry because everybody is always going to be like trying to help you, like throw food at you wherever you go. And, and what, what astounded me recently here in the South, but in the rest of the world as well, is seeing these, these initiatives that kind of grew organically, but so quickly where, where people are, you know, doing what you're describing, Hugh, they're, they're saying, let's, Let's make sure that people who are elderly or immunocompromised and can't get outside have, you know, if not some sort of human interaction, they have something to eat. And it made me it made me think about how intertwined food is uh, with community outreach. This sort of to your point, Richard, uh, where you said, you know, everybody is a consumer of this. Uh, what are some like community outreach things that that you guys have seen that you know that that I, I don't want to be too like Pollyanna or optimistic or naive about it? But what are some things that you've seen or you've participated in that have inspired you in in this current situation? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's I mean, everything's been well documented, but it's the um, you know feeding and cooking for restaurant workers and employees, um, you know, sending, um, you know, food, you know, to hospitals to take care of healthcare workers. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, Jose Andres and, you know, um, the support that I've even received on my platform to get donations to World Central Kitchen. Um, you know, I mean, that's what, again, you know, cooks and chefs, because what we're trying to do each and every day when we're not in a crisis is just make people happy. You know, we sort of turn that up, you know, a couple of levels when, when we have to, you know, uh, bring someone joy and, and, and good food and hospitality can do that. Okay, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor and then more with Richard and Hugh. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. 
We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When yes. Those, when those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The day. That's we didn't the problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. Were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how <gasps> lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Okay, we're back. Let's get right back into it with Richard and Hugh. Can we switch gears for a second? Yes. Richard, you said the phrase quickfire. And uh, I have always had a question because I, uh, the three guys here, we've we've been on set before for various things and you know i'm i'm i've always had a question about cooking shows so i'm going to use top chef as as an example but just because you guys have both had experience being on that show in various capacities um i think you could probably insert any competitive cooking show into this for this question but generally you will see a segment where there are contestants chefs cooking their hearts out for you know uh, an elongated period of time and then afterwards, there's a whole different camera setup. There's a whole different, like, feeling and area uh, where where shooting is happening. I know for a fact that that takes a long time to get right and to continue moving to shoot something like that. How do you keep that food that was just cooked furiously uh, by these chefs, how do you keep the integrity of that food moving over to some other place and then kind of sitting out and waiting as you go down the line of you know, a judges judging that food. Uh, I mean, it's, it, you know, th- there is, we're not, as a judge, you know, you're not judging food on temperature. Usually temperature is the one thing that everyone is, uh, although different shows are a little bit different, that temperature is the one thing that everyone is uh, understanding that, hey, this is not at its optimal temperature right now. Um, so I think that's, where you're going with that. Um, you know, people understand that it might've been, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes that the food or their plate, um, sat there before it was judged. And, um, you know, that can affect also the, the inside baseball scoop there is, you know, as a cook and a chef, we know that, uh, you know, taste changes when something's hot or when something's cold. So knowing that, or knowing that the type of food to cook, uh, can sometimes become an advantage. You know, I mean, there's lots of contestants, um, you know, myself included probably who, uh, know that like, oh, well, a, a very cold, you know, raw seafood dish might be uh, a good thing to serve right off the bat because it's going to be cold. The judges are going to taste it first. It's going to have high acidity. It's going to sort of, you know, affect 
the palate of what that judge tastes after this dish. Um, so hopefully I'm not diving too uh, deep into the game right there. But as a judge, we all sort of understand that, hey, um, you know, temperature isn't to be considered most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say more. I don't, don't work with the show anymore. Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> quick, neither uh, do I. <laughs> quick fire challenge starts and then it stops. And then they read everybody's rules and they reset cameras. And, and the, that type of thing happens all the time. There's other strategies involved. Richard's actually got a classic strategy, which I don't, I've picked up on, but I don't know if anybody else has. I don't even know Ooh. if it's his strategy on his point. But in a, in a scenario where we're cooking for a lot of people and they each have to approach us for that taste of whatever we're doing, and then they're going to vote on mass later on. Um, I'm always of the mindset that, like, I just want to get as much as possible. Richard, not so much, because you're never told how many you have to serve. So Richard slow rolls. Mm. He'll mm. put like sl- one plate up, another minute, another plate up. See, I've got 20 in front of me. I'm just like pushing it out, going crazy. <laughs> yeah. And he's like just, he's <laughs> exhaling. He's fine. Deep breath, zen. And he's just slow roll. Yeah, I'm the Houston Astros of Top Chef. That's what we're yep. getting to right here. Um, <laughs> Inside <laughs> baseball. Well, that kind of thing is just so interesting to me when you're thinking about trying to make a television show and put out great food. Uh, that to me is always interesting, just how you actually manage the food itself. No, I mean, Hugh's breaking down a big part of the show is that, you know, um, Hugh's an amazing chef who cooks in restaurants. And so t- you have to sort of break yourself away from maybe the type of chef you are in your restaurant versus the type of chef you are on whatever show it is that you're cooking. Because Hugh's saying this right now, like, hey, there's people at this event. I want to feed all of them. I want to get them food. I want to make them all happy. Quite honestly, I could care about the three sound bites of the three people who don't like it. I only care about the four judges that are rolling up to me <laughs> in this contest, and I'm going to p- pay very special care to uh, you know these four or six little bites. So it goes deeper than even what you're suggesting. Yeah. Uh, not only do I slow roll it, but I preserve the four or six little bites for uh, the most important people at the most important time. I have always wondered, you know, in these shows where so much drama is created by the clock and the countdown and like, oh, no, I have to redo my batter or whatever, all of that stuff. Is this an accurate time line that we're seeing, like as a viewer? Like, is it pretty preserved or are there moments where they cheated a little bit and stopped the clock and that gets cut out? Like, no, is it- it's, it's generally pretty accurate, but you got to realize like. The drama is created in edits. It's you. There's so many different perspectives. You know, I mean, a show like Top Chef has like probably eight cameras going. Uh, you're filming much longer than the you know whatever the 42 minutes of television is uh, for an episode. So they've got you know 18 hours of tape that they're whittling down to 42 minutes. And their angle is they want to find drama. They want to find humor. They want to find mistakes. They want to find burning. You know completely botched scenarios uh they live for that (laughs) richard i'm trying to watch your face yeah i mean i i just feel like hugh thinks i'm a company man now that's what i'm all the facial expressions are there no 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 not at all Uh, i've just always been known for being totally irreverent and not giving a so (laughs) fair enough fair enough that's why Um, this is special but you is right. You know, the, the timing specifically on like Top Chef, it's legitimate. And like you can jump cut and put some music drop in anything to make it seem pretty dramatic. But I have 
hosted baking shows where it gets really exciting because you have to make a time announcement that's like, all right, bakers, you have six hours left. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, there's no, I haven't there's no even way you started can... my starter yet. Right, right. <laughs> I'm just going to go walk over to the flower now. And like, you know, if you put the right music on it, that's, ex- that, that's, that's dramatic. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so when, when we're on this point, you know, I, I do think it's something that a lot of our fellow listeners have always suspected and are probably grateful to get like some firsthand information, or as you said, Richard, a little bit of inside baseball on some of these things, because it's, it goes to a larger point. Like it's fascinating the way that in edits, like you mentioned, Hugh, it's, it's, it's fascinating the way that reality can be altered for for broadcast, you know, and I'll, I'll say even sometimes on podcast we see this, right? And, and podcasts are often like we, like in all of our podcasts, we're we're pretty sincere and we're ultimately trying to to educate. Uh, God, I feel so cornball saying, it, but we're trying to educate, right? At some point, and um, I, I I just I don't think it changes anybody's enjoyment of shows. Now I have a personal story. You guys remember the original Iron Chef with the guy who like snapped the bell pepper and he's got this weird, complicated backstory about why he's making people cook with natto and stuff. The chairman. Uh, yes. Is that the chairman? Yes. Yeah. Are you going to so, talk about the chairman's son? <laughs> yeah. That's Iron Chef America, right? Yeah. But that guy, he's an actor, dude. I thought he was really the chairman's son. He yeah, was in the double dragon that's, movie. That's my story. I was saying like the, the original Iron Chef, I grew up thinking that it was totally this, that there was this like bond culinary supervillain who, uh, who for some reason was driven to these extreme lengths. And, uh, you know, I wish I still thought that like, I didn't, I, I had no, I had no, no, no idea. No one's stopping you. You can still believe in it. Like it's okay. Like it's, it's, <laughs> believe whatever makes you feel good, especially in these times. The chairman is real. My, my, my belief was even one step removed from yours because you're talking about the original chairman. I didn't even know anything about him. I just knew the son of the chairman, and I thought he was real. Uh, and then I, and then, and then I realized he was Billy from the Double Dragon movies. But you're saying the original chairman is also some kind of, some kind of actor. No, I've 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 done a complete 180. Uh, Richard, you inspired me with your advice. I'm choosing to believe it's legit. It's real. <laughs> there it is. Uh, it's happening. Uh, and you know what? There was a brief Iron Chef America thing on TBS, I believe, where in William Shatner was the uh, was the main guy. Now that one I didn't fall for. Although I've known private chefs that have cooked for Shatner, and you're not that far off. This is what I want to get to. <laughs> This is what, yes, yes, this is what I want to get to. Uh, we had John Hodgman on the show a little while ago, and he told us about having dinner at a secret society. Um, oh, where was it? What was it called? The Snake? Uh, uh, book the and books. Snake. Yeah. yeah. Book and Snake Secret Society. Uh, have you guys ever found, your sh- found yourselves either cooking for or eating at a, in a very strange place, in a very strange world that you didn't expect that nobody else could really get in there unless you were you have you got down with the illuminati i think is what <laughs> that's, no well, that's asked. not what i'm asking i'm just asking like <laughs> something strange that would be um just interesting hmm i have never been invited to the ortolone party although i've heard of these you know the ortolone the small little yeah. bird that yeah yes. okay I, I don't know this what, what is the ortolone 
Uh, oh man, you're, you're going to have to do some research. You guys are the experts in research, but it's a tiny bird that you're not allowed to eat that, from what I've heard and maybe seen once, uh, people eat and cherish and they basically eat, it's a very small bird and they eat the whole bird in one bite and they put a napkin over their head while they're doing it. So there's a, a specific incredible ritual that maybe I have seen once when I cracked a door open that I shouldn't have in a French restaurant. Whoa. Wow. Whoa! There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the 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 napkin over the head. Um, if if I've uh, if if uh, the stuff I've read is to be believed, is to hide your shame from God because it's such a decadent act to eat this tiny bird, and it's really meant to be something that only the uh, bougiest of the bougie can enjoy. And it is in fact illegal now, but it is something that was very popular, I believe, during the Renaissance, if I'm not mistaken, or at least uh, that's kind of when it started. It's to hide your sin from God so that you don't have to live in shame. That's right. That's right. That makes more sense. Hugh, how about you? Any, uh, any, any crazy um, behind the, the curtain glances at, you know, weird high society banquets or any strange stuff that you've happened upon and catering or even just like, you know, guests at your restaurant without naming names? Just uh, give us a little taste. No, I mean, not really. I don't know. Maybe I just leave it a boring existence but uh no it's not really she's and i wouldn't tell you (laughs) you had to have at least served michael stipe before can we at least assume that that's the case Uh, yes Okay, great. <laughs> but he's, he's never done anything weird. So <laughs> he's not a weird guy. He's really nice and pleasant. Yeah, I've great. seen him. I've seen he's him around town uh, multiple man. times. Lovely, lovely guy. Well, guys, I, I think we're we're wrapping up here. Um, it, is there so both of you have podcasts uh, out that are that are pretty new? Uh, Hugh, you've got the Passenger. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with that show right now and uh, just what what it is? It's a travel show, so it's on hiatus because um, nobody's traveling. Nobody wants to hear about traveling. Uh, it's a show just about places I go and what I see and what I do and where you should go when you get there. It's like just discovering that every place you go has this heartbeat that you want to find. And uh, just uh, I'm I'm your tour guide. I would just say it's 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 better than you is selling it right now. <laughs> um, it's a great show. I've listened to, to the well. episodes. <laughs> no, Hugh's got that's a classic restaurant tour thing. You under promise and over deliver. He does it all the time. I work with this guy a I lot. Try. It's amazing podcast. His food is amazing. Oh, I would just say specifically uh, because you're listening to this show, I would recommend listening to the most the two most recent episodes of The Passenger, just because it is a uh, a very uh, serious look at what the restaurant industry faces right now. Um, but, w- but just keeping in mind that there are some good things out there too, but Hugh, I think you might be able to tell from this episode, uh, Hugh, uh, and I don't need to mean to speak out of turn, but Hugh, your outlook is a little bleak, but it's, but it's very straightforward. It's, it's an honest, uh, negative, perspective <laughs> I, I i think that's what we need though we need we need um honest realism. negativity and that's why i'm here <laughs> well i you know there's this thing i i uh 
I learned about recently, uh, someone said, I'm so tired of all this toxic positivity. Sometimes it's okay to just be angry about something. And that, you know, that, that hit me, that stayed with me almost as much as my, uh, my ill-fated appearance on your podcast, Richard food court with Richard oh. blaze. You know, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic show. Uh, and a great segue. Uh, my my pal, uh, pal Noel and I had had a lot of fun. We were able to preserve our relationship, but there were moments where our, our friendship was uh, in some dire straits over our profoundly personal feelings. What What, what is Food Court, Richard? Yes, Food Court is uh, my new podcast that at one point recently hit number 24 in the comedy category. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, wait, I, I waited for some studio applause. Like you can guys, you well, can drop well, in no, there. We'll, we'll put it in post. There you go. There you go. Uh, and Food Court is where we take celebrities like yourselves, chefs, actors, writers, comedians, and they come on and they debate some serious, hard-hitting food topics like you guys did. Like what's better, bacon or sausage, flour tortillas versus corn tortillas. Uh, so real heavy uh, heavy hitting, serious topics get debated on food court. And then at the end, of course, I make a decision that most people disagree with. And that <laughs> is the general assessment of the show. But we are having fun doing it. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of it. Hugh, we got to get you on the on on the on the on the on an episode. I would love. Oh, to. Oh, you do know that. what? I, I've put my hat in with your producer to, to be on the show because I like happened in on a recording a little while back that you're making. And I so badly want to be on the show too. It's a lot of fun. Ben Ben says ill-fated, but everyone that I've talked to says they think he made a better argument. I think it's just, he, you know, we did sauce. I was sausage and he was bacon. And I think I swayed Judge Blaze with the idea that sausage is more um, adaptable or it's m more variety in sauces than there is with bacon. Uh, I think that was kind of what the kicker was. But Ben, you gave me an absolute run for my money and I, I did not think I was going to emerge victorious. So I wouldn't look at it as a, as a negative thing at all no and I'll, I'll be honest said, i'll be honest uh, matt even the, said he was siding with you the whole time so just it was that the it was the toughest verdict that i had to deliver because you guys with your background and experience come in with information like most of my guests are just shooting from the hip and you guys came in with actual facts and i think the next time you come on the show you need to argue as a team and we need to bring in another celebrity duo or trio to go up against you guys Oh, wow. I would love that. Can we do Simon Majundar? I just saw you had him Ooh. on recently, and I, I've always found him to be delightfully prickly. I would love to go head-to-head -head with that guy. He is even more so now because uh, if you go to his Instagram page, he's not shaving during quarantine. So he's a bald <laughs> okay. man who now has lots of hair. Got I, it. I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the same thing actually, guys. I was I was I, I'm at the stage now where I'm impressed when I hop on a call or something. Like one of the first things I notice uh, when Hugh and Matt popped up on the video call, I was like, "Wow, these guys are still shaving. They've got their shit together, man." I need to like. I heard that it was safer. That's all. <laughs> That's all. It is supposed to be, but uh, I think I'm going to be coming out of this looking like a character from the Old Testament. You look like a really cool college math professor. Oh, thanks, guys. Like the cool Everyone professor. Everyone stand on your desk, okay? <laughs> Throw the textbook away. He's got the uh, Dr. Manhattan background, though. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If you stand oh. up and you've got a blue penis dangling in front of you, this is weird. We've had a lot of fun on this episode, but we do know that... 
there are a lot of people out there who, you know, are not able to work in a restaurant right now and, and make the money they used to make. So we just want to put this out there that the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation has set up something called the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund. Uh, it's it's something that you can both donate to and hopefully benefit from if you are having that experience right now and, and having some hardship in the wake of the coronavirus disease. Um, you can go to ref.us to both donate and or seek assistance there. And we would recommend you do that now, if possible. uh, Please donate if you can. Uh, I I know we are going to be doing that here on our end. Um, And if you do need assistance, that's a a good place to go. Uh, Are there any other things you guys want to shout out here at the end? You know, all I would say is just remember, you know, I'll try to use a, a culinary sort of analogy here, but like the forest burns down every once in a while. And usually after that, morels grow. And like, we are going to get through this, like you mentioned during the, our conversation, like things are going to come back. It's going to be different, uh, but we will get through this and we will get through it together. Yeah, I'm more of the burning the forest down myself right now. But um, I, I, I think that people just need to realize it's, it's not that a lot of us uh, won't have trouble reopening. It's that a lot of this industry is going to have a lot of trouble six months down the line after reopening, unless consumers really make a a good effort to to do what they always have loved doing, which is going out and eating good food. One way or another, you're going to get it. There's going to be ways to get it. We're going to come up with those ways in a safe environment, and we just need your buy-in as eaters. You know, Hugh, I, I heard a, a great perspective today about how that's really the case for this notion of reopening the country, reopening the economy. You can't just flip a switch. It's about people and their buy-in in general, whether it's spending money, whether it's going to restaurants, whether it's going to ball games or movies or concerts again. It's all about when are people going to be, you know, comfortable enough to, to resume that. It's not about what the president says. You can't make people, you know, just magically rejoin life the way it used to be. So there's going to be like a, a, a kind of a, a, a pendulum swing. It's certainly not going to be like a rebound, but um, I think, you know, cautious, I, I try to take the stance of cautious optimism. Um, I'm ready for that switch to be flipped. And I know that I'll, you know, be out there doing those things, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see. We want to thank you guys. Uh, thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Richard, so much for your time today. Um, I, you know, I don't know about our fellow listeners, uh, Noel, Matt, but I learned a lot of stuff that I, that I didn't know, um, which is, you know, that's a very low bar. So nobody get a real big head about that. It's easy for me to learn new things. Uh, and we are going to, we are going to call it a day, but just because this episode is over, it doesn't mean the show is over. You can find Hugh and Richard online. You can learn more about their work. Uh, you can find their new podcast that we've talked about. Do check them out. Uh, we're, we're not recommending them just because we're, we're, friends with these guys. Uh, These are fantastic shows and a lot of work has gone into them. So check them out. Let us know what you think. They're available now wherever you find your podcast. In the meantime, you can find us in the usual places. We're we're all over this uh, this internet thing. We think it's a fad that's going to uh, going to really take off in a few years. So we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, We lost our Pinterest account. Yeah, sorry about that. That was my yeah. fault, guys. I was inappropriately posting some things about Magic the Gathering, the, the copyright man. thing. Yeah, it's fine. Um, 
You can find us on all those places where Conspiracy Stuff or Conspiracy Stuff Show. Uh, if you can call us right now if you want to, our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. You can leave us a message. You might get on the air or maybe you'll just send a, a message to us and we'll get to listen to it. You might get a call back from me. I'm kind of bored at night sometimes, so uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Right, right before we end here, are there any? Do you guys have any op, uh, open restaurants that are doing any kind of delivery or to go or anything right now that we could support or that people would want to support do, that you'd want to call out? Yeah, people, uh, people in Southern California and the San Diego area can support uh, Juniper and Ivy, which is doing a weekly menu and uh, curbside pickup, as well as a couple of locations of Crack Shack in San Diego and Orange County, California as well. Me, no. Just doing emergency food. Please support those restaurants if you can. And uh, in any restaurant, really. Like, you know, we're my family is trying to do takeout as much as we can afford right now just to support our local businesses. I just recommend trying to do it as much as you can, too. Uh, if you don't want to contact us, you don't want to do that stuff, you can always send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> Redwood Forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.